0: In fact, I probably should have just had our worship team stay up here. <clears throat> but uh, if we could, we're gonna we're gonna finish Psalm 139 this morning. We finish uh, these five weeks. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we will have a kind of an in between uh, message, uh, a, a standalone uh, message, and then we will begin. Um, as I said, on the 22nd, begin the season of Lent, and then the following Sunday, the 26th, we begin um, our uh, our series through Lent. Um, but as we as we end our time uh, in the series uh, on what it means to be known by God, uh, Psalm one thirty nine verses twenty three and twenty four. If you're able, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word, David ends this beautiful prayer. Uh, this beautiful prayer with these words: "Search me, God, and know my heart." Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These words are on the screen. If we could, let's, let's say these uh, together and make this our prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What if there were more? Would you long for it? Would you pursue it? And before you answer that question, know that that is something that we do every day in our lives. The world tells us that there is more, the world tells us that there is more that we should have, that if we get this upgrade or have this next thing, then that is the thing that will fulfill us, that is the thing that will make us happy. The world tells us that we should expect more in relationship, and so we pursue relationship, we pursue an individual, or we pursue a possession in hopes that that thing will satisfy us and fulfill us. And so when I ask the question, what if there was more, friends, there is more. The question is, is the more that we are in pursuit of, the more that will actually bring us life? Let me ask that question a different way. Be more specific. What if there was more of God that you have yet to know? What if there was more of the heart of God that you have yet to experience in your life? More of the mind of God that you have yet to tap into? Would you pursue him? Would you give your energy and your effort to pursuing the heart and mind of God more than you do now? What if there were more of the life-changing affection of Jesus that you have yet to experience at this point in your life? What if there were more of the lordship of Jesus that you could experience in your life? Would you pursue him? Would you allow yourself to long for that? What if there were more of the Holy Spirit that you could experience. And and the moment we begin to mention the Holy Spirit in, in church, depending on your tradition, you know, some of you are like, you're ready to pull out the spirit flags, and and others of you are like, oh, hold on. Like that's when things start to get a little bit out of hand when the Holy Spirit is turned loose. But friends, we cannot control the move of the Holy Spirit any more than we can control the ocean. What if there were more of the Holy Spirit that you have yet to experience in your life, the Spirit that inspires us, the Spirit that, that allows us to see the world that God see, the way that God sees the world, the, the Spirit that empowers us to do the work that God has called us to do as His church, the Spirit that, that transforms us and makes us more like Jesus? What if there were more than you have experienced up to this point in your life? Would you pursue it, or are you too easily satisfied? Is, is this description, these, these words by Wilbur E. Reese. Do they more accurately describe what you long for, what you hope from God? He writes these words. He says, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but enough of him to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love someone not like me or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. Please, I would like to buy $3 worth of God. I'm afraid that for far too many of us, we are far too easily satisfied that our understanding of who God is fits very neatly into our lives, fits very neatly into the box that we have created for him, and we can take him out and rub him and show him affection like we would a pet, and then put him back when we're finished, and as long as God stays there in the box that we created for him, that's good. As long as God behaves and doesn't meddle and doesn't start to turn things in our lives upside down and reorder our priorities, then we can we can handle a God like that. I'd like $3 worth of God, please, not enough to transform me, but just enough to make me feel good. But friends, there's more. The riches of who God is are unsearchable. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface. There is more. Are you open to pursuing it in your life? Are you willing to allow yourself, are you willing to dare to allow yourself to long for more of God in your life, for more of what God has for you, for more of the ways that God longs to reveal himself to you? What if we weren't so easily satisfied? If you'll permit me again, we, I read um, this excerpt from C.S. Lewis is the last battle on the first Sunday of the year, and, and I, I, I just finished in earnest the series. Somebody asked me what I did for my birthday last Monday. Part of it was to finish uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And when I told you that I was reading that, many of you laughed at me because you felt like I was reading a children's book. Look, I, I implore you, dive into the mind and heart of C.S. Lewis. Because the way that that man depicts the things of God, is it, it will transport you to a different place. He is describing, after the last battle for Narnia, he is describing the difference between the, the way things used to be, the old Narnia and the new Narnia. And, and, and he says this, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass uh, it, it looked as if it had more, if, if it looked as if it meant more. He says, I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn, the unicorn jewel, who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then he cried I have come home at last this is my real country I belong here this is the land I have been looking for all my life though I never knew it till now the reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this come further up further in further up further in there is more to experience For all that you know, for all who you know God to be at this moment in your life, there is more. For all of the ways that you have experienced God's faithfulness in your life, there is more. For all of the ways that God has used you in the lives of people around you, for all of the steps of faith you have taken in your life in response to God's faithfulness, there is another step to take because there is more of who God is to experience. What if we weren't so easily satisfied? What if we allowed ourselves to long for more? What if our attitude were were more like that of Paul? Many of us would lift Paul up as being one of the great giants of our faith, His, his remarkable And powerful transformation is captured for us in in the book of Acts. Paul, who was on his way to persecute the church, was met by Jesus in a very powerful way, was stricken blind, and for three days was was led around in darkness until he was taken to the house of Annas, who who prayed for him, and and as he prayed, the scales fell from his eyes. His life was transformed. Transformed. All of his zeal and all of his passion uh, with which he was persecuting the church because he felt like the church stood against the things of God, stood against the God he knew up to that point in his life. He found out in that moment that there was more. There was more of who God was that he had not yet experienced. And God was faithful to reveal that to him. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul who we we, we would lift up as, as the standard of faithfulness and the standard of of being willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel and live your life and leverage it for the sake of the gospel. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 12. I'm backing up. Philippians 3 verse 7, he said, Whatever were gains to me now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says, I want to know Christ. Paul already knows Christ when he's writing this letter, but he's not satisfied. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Many of us would look at the life of Paul and say, Paul, you, you chill. You have made it. You have arrived Look at what you've done. Look at what God has done through you, the churches that you've planted. And Paul's like, no, there's more. I know there's more. I'm not satisfied because there's more of God that I need in my life because there's too much of me left. There's too much of me remaining. And the only way to get that out of the way is to have more of Jesus. And so I press on toward him. What's behind my mistakes, my sins, those things in the past that we have a tendency to continue to try to dredge up and say, but God, hold on, what about remember when I did that? To which God says, if we've gone before him and dealt with that with him, to which God says, "No, nah, I don't I've I've done I've dealt with that. I don't don't keep bringing. I don't remember that anymore. I removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. Stop bringing it up." Forget what's behind. Let's press on toward what is ahead. We are too easily satisfied. My alarm still goes off at eight fifty-six every morning. Almost two years ago now, we we invited you as a church to begin praying at eight fifty-six every morning. That prayer comes from Psalm eighty-five six. We just come through kind of the, the teeth of, of the, the pandemic and felt like God was asking us to create space that summer in June nearly two years ago to have a, set up a tent in the, in the courtyard uh, or in the field down there and to have three nights of revival and it was incredible to pray this prayer. Psalm 85, 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I continue to pray that prayer. I wonder how many of us continue to pray and how many of us have alarms that are still going off at 8.56 in the morning. We can't manufacture revival though. It's not something that we can create. Patty shared earlier about the revival that is, that is happening right now at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. On Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, students gathered for their chapel, which they have on Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock. This, this, was, this is what you do. And, and they, they worshiped, and they had a chapel, and when chapel was over, people just continued to worship. The band continued to play, not for any reason, other than they felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to do so. They've now just, two hours ago, crossed the 96-hour threshold, and are still going. Worship happening around the clock. Prayer, confession, testimony, people driving from all over, not because they, they went into that morning thinking we should probably try to manufacture a revival and stir people up and see what happens. I, I've been doing research and, you know, because those of us who aren't a part of something like that, our, our inclination is to be what? Skeptical, right? We don't want to believe that something like that could happen somewhere else because it's not happening here, not in that way. And, and as I've read firsthand accounts, there was a, a man who, who posted something who said, yeah, I, I was I was skeptical. I went with a bit of skepticism because he said, I got burned by that at a different point in my life. I got burned in revival and carried some wounds from that. He say, so he said, as I drove up to the auditorium, I was nervous to go inside, he said, but what I found was was beautiful. He said, I, I, I found myself wanting to to lay down and sleep and run around the room and jump up and shout and sing my heart out all at the same time. He said, I felt all of those things all at once. There wasn't an evangelist there. There were students leading worship and there was prayer and there was confession. He said, it was so simple and yet it was clear that the Holy Spirit was present and moving. And we can't create that. We can't manufacture that. We can long for it. We can put ourselves in a posture to be ready for it and to receive it. And we can order our lives in such a way that we recognize the move of the Holy Spirit when it comes. Because God is still stirring in the church. There is still work for the church to do. Otherwise, Jesus would have returned. But what if we... Lived like we believe he will return in our lifetime? What if we begin to have a mindset and to practice a humility that puts us in a place before the Lord where we are willing and we are expectant. We were talking this morning, I was talking with the worship team and, and saying, you know, each week we show up and we all have a role to play or a job to do, if you want to think of it that way, a way to, to exercise the call and the giftedness that God has for us. And I, and I wonder if, if we just show up to, to do what God has asked us to do, like show up to do the job, or, or do we show up really expectant that God is going to move in a significant way? What if that is your posture when you come to church each week? What if that is your posture when you open scripture each week, when you bow your head to pray, when you reach out to someone, like Patty was saying, who is, who is hurting, when you reach out to check in on someone, when you reach out to say, hey, I've been praying for you over this thing, tell me how that's going. What if you expect that in that there's space for God to move and God to work in something that may just seem like it's, like it's routine? You open your word in the morning, you, you open, and if, if we were to go just beyond Psalm 139, I've been reading the rest of the Psalms, the remainder of the Psalms, uh, as we've been in this series, Psalm 143, 8, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. What if at the start of each day, we, we marked that and said, your mercies are new every morning. How do I know that? I know that because you've given me one more day. I know that because the sun rose on my life one more time. Because while I slept, you sustained me. When I was at my most vulnerable, you sustained me. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. If that is the case, if I have been given one more day, then God, give me a posture in which I can experience the reality of your presence at work in this world. More specifically, experience the reality of your presence in my life there's more do you long for it or have you become satisfied with just enough just enough to help you get by just enough god never intended for us to experience just enough Jesus' words in john 10:10 10, 10, i have come that they may have life and have it to the what to the full Not, I have come that they may have a little bit of life, or a kind of life, or a life that's just enough. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, and so many of us are too easily satisfied. What if in our posture and our habits we began to create space the Holy Spirit to move and begin to recognize that movement when it is happening, because I can tell you, for us as a church, we are seeing the faithfulness of God. We are seeing lives transformed. We are seeing a recommitment to gathering together and trying to order our lives and who we are under the word of God, and it is beautiful, and I believe it is just the beginning. And David's final bit of this prayer Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is, for us, a prayer that puts us in that posture of humility and creates in us this expectation that there is more and develops for us a habit in which we are creating space for God to move. What what do we know about this this psalm, this prayer? What has David captured for us up to this point? That God is omniscient, right? God is all-knowing. Before a word is on my tongue, he says, you know it completely. God knows everything about us. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. All the days of my life are written in your book before one of them came to be. Everything about your life, God knows. Every desire, every longing, every hope, every prayer, before you ever utter it, even the things that we seek to keep hidden from the world around us, God knows this about you. There is nothing about you that God doesn't know. There is nothing about you that God has to learn. He knows it all. David has come face to face with this, the omniscience of God. All-knowing. We also know that God is omnipresent. There is no place that you are that God is not. There is no place that you can go that God is not present with you. When we talked about this, we talked about transforming our thinking from saying God is nowhere to be found to saying God is now here with me. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. It is David's theology, David's understanding of God that moves David. Yes to pray this really difficult prayer that we, part of the prayer that we looked at last week, verses 19 through 22. If only you God would slay the wicked. Away from me you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you Lord and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. David has has drawn a line in the sand there and the tendency that we have when we draw a line in the sand is to say I am on the winning team and all of you who are not on the winning team with me are on the losing team. And so we begin to develop this, this sense of pride because we are standing in the right place with God and there are those who are not standing in the right place with God. But look what David does. Rather than David continuing in that 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 attitude of, of what would seem like pride by saying God, those are the ones who are who, who have done wrong. Those are the ones who, who stand opposed to you. Those are the ones who, who are against you. And notice that David is talking not about his own enemy enemies, but about the enemies of God. And that's something we have to be really careful with, right? We, we tend to want to call down judgment on those who have done us wrong, but David here is talking about those who are opposed to God. He's not, he's not talking about his own enemies. Just because someone is your enemy doesn't necessarily make them an enemy of God. Just because someone disagrees with you does not mean that they are in disagreement with God. So, so David draws a line in the sand and, and, and prays against those who are standing opposed to God. But then look what he does. Rather than continuing to elevate himself and put himself on a pedestal and stand in that place of pride, David chooses humility. He says, God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting rather than getting caught up and being on the right side of things in his relationship with God David is not satisfied because he doesn't want there to remain anything in him anything in him anything in his life anything in his heart that stands opposed to God he has experienced the reality of such nearness and such fellowship with God. The reality of the goodness of God's omniscience and God's omnipotence and God's omnipresence in his life. That he doesn't want there to be anything that remains in his life that would break that fellowship. Any sin that remains in his life, any way about him that it, that stands in contention with the way of God, that stands opposed to the way of God. So David, continuing to humble himself. God, search me. Search my heart. And what he's asking God to do, this is so, it's so. such a fascinating bit of the prayer because to ask God to, to, to search him is, is really just to ask God to be God. Right? It's not like, God, could you help me look for this thing? And, and what God does, he, it's not like a dude looking for things. Right? Where you, where you like a guy walks into a room and he's like, I oh, man, I set my key, like, I set my keys somewhere and I just, I don't know where my keys are. I can't find them. And my wife is like, did you look for them? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I looked for them. And then she walks into the room. She's like, did you look for them or did you dude look for them? Because they're right here. Like, did you really look for them? Did you move anything? Or did you did you guy look for them? Yeah, right. Right, if my, my dear wife is, she's, she's, She's loving on our youngest by being in a volleyball tournament with her. She would be amening right there in that seat. Amen because it is like I mean con- and then she has my son Braden who I mean we're, it's you know yeah I'm gonna stop. but, but when, we, when we ask God to search our hearts, that's not like God doesn't just kind of kind of do the looking. first, first of all, as I said, we're just asking God to be God, but what, what David is asking God, to do here is to allow David to see the things in his heart that God sees. God, God search me. Perform surgery on my heart. Show me what may exist there that is not of you, because I don't i don't want it to remain there. I don't want it to be there. I'm not satisfied with just enough. I want more of you, and I'm afraid that there might be things in my life that get in the way of experiencing more of you, and if there are, God, would you reveal those to me so that I can deal with them, so that I can confess those to you, so that I can invite trusted people into my life, uh, trusted people in my life into that, and to say, hey, God has revealed something to me that I feel like is, is not pleasing to him. Could you, could you hold me accountable in this? Could you, could you pray with me in this? Could you listen to me as I, as I confess and as, as I share this to you? God, search me and know my heart. Help me to know my heart the way that you know my heart. The heart is deceitful deceitful above all things. As long as we are using anything and anyone other than God as the standard, and as long as we are using anything other than God's word as the standard, then it is too easy for us to justify the things that we are hanging on to in our lives that God would look at and say, no, that's not of me. I don't feel the way about that person that you think I feel about that person because you feel that way about that person. I don't don't feel the way about your finances that you feel about your finances. I'm not concerned about whether or not you have enough. Guess what? Today, I'm going to give you your daily bread. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Maybe you should stop chasing the things that this world is holding up in front of you and instead pursue my heart for you because that is enough. In fact, it is abundantly more than enough. And that's, that's David's prayer. God, help me to see my heart the way that you see it because I don't want there to be anything that gets in the way. The things that we hold up and that we're ashamed of, the scars that we bear, God says, no, I dealt with that. That's now a testimony. It's not a scar anymore. It's no longer anything that would separate you from me. That is now a testimony of my faithfulness and my grace and my goodness at work in your life. And guess what? You get to share that with somebody who needs to hear the testimony of my grace and my faithfulness and my goodness. David goes on, see if there's any offensive way in me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I think when we allow ourselves to become anxious about the things in this world, that's when we become impulsive. And God doesn't mean for us to be an impulsive people. He means for us to be responsive. Those are not the same thing. there's any anxious thought, if there's anything that keeps me awake at night, the the psalms early on, especially psalms of David, prayers of David, he says, hey, I lay awake in the watches of the night and I cried out to you. If you're a middle of the night person, you know, like you, you wake from your sleep, maybe rather than working really hard to try to get yourself back to sleep, take a moment. What is it that's on your heart? What is it that's been stirring subconsciously in your mind that God might be asking you you're, or what is it that you're allowing to remain that is causing you anxiety and fear to take that to the Lord the one who holds you and watches over you when you are most vulnerable see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting friends when you say yes to life with Jesus you are born into a new family and you are born into a new kingdom take a residency in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that will not spoil, the kingdom that will not fade, the kingdom that that no power of this world can stand against. And we are invited to live and to walk in a new way to, as it were, to come home. That's the invitation and it's the longing that is deep within all of us. It is a longing for home. We just get tripped up along the way and we stop short of the only place that that longing can be fulfilled. And David's prayer his prayer here is such a model for us. I would, I would encourage you, I would challenge you actually over the course of, of time and, and we're gonna be in a different series in the season of Lent, but, but to make this a part of your prayer in the time between now and Easter Sunday when we gather together as the church and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Celebrate the fact, as Ben said, that death did not have the final say, that Jesus is very much alive. But to begin the process of preparing your heart to celebrate that, to make this your prayer God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the That that is a prayer born out of a place that desires more, that is not satisfied with just enough. A prayer that is longing for more of God, for more of the affection and lordship of Jesus, and for more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Friends, we begin to pray a prayer like that with sincerity and regularity. Lives begin to be reordered and transformed. We as a church begin to pray a prayer like that and we begin to look a whole lot more like the kingdom of God to the world around us. That's where revival springs up. Out of humility and longing. Stand with me, let's pray together. God, hear the cry of our hearts. If we have been convicted then God we thank you for the gift of that conviction if we've sat in this space worried about things that we are clinging on to God then we thank you for the grace of revealing those things to us we thank you that God in, in coming to you and asking you to be judge, asking you to judge our motives and judge our hearts and judge our minds we are asking you to show grace to us Because it is grace that reveals to us our brokenness. It is grace that reveals to us our sinfulness. It is grace that reveals to us our shortcomings. And it is grace that forgives and grace that restores and grace that tells us to keep coming because you are bringing us home. And we're so grateful for that. And I pray that you would stir in our hearts a longing for more of what only you can give. Forgive us, God, for settling for less than the best. Forgive us for stopping short. I pray that you would spur us on by your Holy Spirit to long for and to pursue more of what you have for us. And to trust that when we do, God, we will begin to experience that life that Jesus promised and made possible for us. Life life to the full. It's in his great name and that hope that